Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day, explained and analysed by The Times of London. Today with me, Bhavani Vadi and James Hansen. On today's episode, Putin raises the stakes on the threat of nuclear war. We ask our correspondent on the reasons for the escalation. It was perhaps his most explicit threat yet of all-out nuclear war. President Putin today warned Western nations they risk provoking tragic consequences if they sent troops to Ukraine. He's saying Moscow had the weapons to strike targets in the West at his annual State of the Union address. Putin also claimed Western leaders did not understand that their actions are risking a conflict with nuclear weapons. Here's a quote, he says, which means the destruction of civilization. And don't they understand this or what? This stark warning appears to be in response to President Macron of France, who earlier this week did not rule out sending NATO soldiers to fight in Ukraine, a suggestion that was quickly rejected by other members of the military alliance. Despite this, President Putin accused the West of seeking Russia's destruction and lauded what he said is the country's vastly modernised nuclear arsenal. Here's Tom Parfit, the correspondent who covered the speech for The Times. Obviously, there's been a lot of sabre-rattling from Putin in the past about the potential for using nuclear weapons against the West in response to its involvement in Ukraine and so on. But this felt more pointed this time, I think. And I think that's a response to the fact that there have been reports this week about Western operatives in Ukraine, meaning on Ukrainian territory. So there was a a report about Western special forces being on the ground there and also a report in The New York Times about the CIA having close intelligence cooperation with Ukrainian intelligence and actually building bunkers on Ukrainian territory from which they monitor Russian troop movements and so on. So that's very much a feeling, I think, for Putin that even in a limited sense, there are kind of NATO boots on the ground. So in response, he's escalated his rhetoric. It's, It's apocalyptic language, isn't it? 
And we've had to learn that we're not necessarily in the West very good at predicting what Putin is going to do and that he isn't necessarily a very rational actor. We should remember that a lot of people didn't predict the invasion of Ukraine. Um, there are some now who will say this is just about half ahead of the election. Others will warn, let us remember how unpredictable Putin can be. This speech comes just two weeks before Russia's next general election in which Putin is expected to formalise another six-year term. But before that comes the funeral of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, Putin's most prominent critic. His supporters say his death in an Arctic prison was a political assassination. It sparked a global outrage and anti-Putin demonstrations. After his death, British-Russian Vladimir Karamurza has become perhaps the most well-known imprisoned opposition leader now. This is his wife, Evgenia, who's been fighting for her husband's release, speaking to Times Radio. I believe that this regime is the regime of murders and Alexei Navalny's murder is not the first one. Vladimir Putin should be treated just as he is a criminal wanted by the ICC, not a legitimate leader of the Russian Federation. This is someone who will, in a couple of weeks, yet again reappoint himself president of the Russian Federation during the procedure that will be called election in Russia and has indeed nothing to do with the real, actual electoral process in any normal democratic country. Tomorrow, Alexei Navalny will be buried in Moscow. There will be a funeral and the authorities are doing everything to prevent this funeral from being held in the way Alexei's family wants it to be held. They want to deprive those millions and millions of Russians even of the possibility to say goodbye to Alexei. So the urgency of the plight of political prisoners, I think, is clear. If COVID was the big issue in the last presidential election, could it be border security this time around? In the year to September, more than a million people crossed into the US from Mexico. Donald Trump blames Joe Biden for the rise in numbers. Joe Biden blames Donald Trump for making Republicans in Congress block his border security bill. Whoever you believe, with Super Tuesday just days away, it's become a massive electoral issue. Alastair Dorber is Washington correspondent for The Times. We spoke to him from Eagle Pass near the border in Texas. All the polls suggest that migration, illegal migration, and security at the southern border, which I'm about a mile from now, is the number one thing that voters are concerned about. In South Carolina, after the uh, the primary, the Republican primary there at the weekend, an exit poll by Fox News suggested that the majority of people in South Carolina, which of course is some way from the border, still think that migration is is, is the biggest issue facing the US. And it's because of the numbers of people crossing. In the year to the end of September, we had more than a million people crossing the border. We've already had half a million people crossing the border illegally since then. And this is this is a huge, great big, it's only 2,000 miles long. It's very, very porous. You know, I was down at the border yesterday and, you know, with a, if you're a half-decent swimmer, you could get across without any trouble at all. In some places, you could walk across the river. It's really not that tricky. And the Republicans uh, and, and Donald Trump argue that Joe Biden has has let the situation get out of control. They say that there's no security on the border, that the US is not doing enough to stop people coming over. And the Biden administration says, well, you know, we're trying to put bills through Congress, but all these Trump-supporting Republicans in Congress are blocking 
all these bills for political reasons, which is which means our hands are tied in terms of what we can do. I mean, from your experience of visiting the border this week, you're in Texas at the moment. Is it fair to say that there isn't mm-hmm. enough security on the border? There's very little security on the border. I mean, this is I can't remember how many times I've been down here. I've been here that often. But you see sort of the vans at the border agency. They're white with a green stripe. They're very easy to spot. And you know, in some parts of the border, there's there's fencing. There's there's sort of wall that Donald Trump built. He promised to build a wall across the entire border. It's only a few hundred miles where where water exists. But in other places, it is it is possible to walk into the river, walk across the river and walk into the US or Mexico, depending on what side, which side you start on. There's virtually no security at all. I was in El Paso at the other end of Texas uh, a few months ago last year, and there were hundreds of people who'd made the crossing uh, in the street and, and outside local churches. I mean, it was a real problem there at that time. Eagle Pass, where I am now, has been a flashpoint, as has uh, other places, uh, Del Rio, a bit further up the uh, the border, where migrants have targeted, uh, or the people smugglers, the people trafficking them into the US, have, have, have targeted. It, it, it varies from time to time. Alistair, thank you. That's our Washington correspondent, Alistair Dorber, joining us from Eagle Pass near the US-Mexico border in Texas. Now, the Game of Thrones star Kit Harrington is about to appear in one of the most controversial plays in London. He's featuring in a West End production of Slave Play, which is due to have two so-called blackout performances, where only black-identifying audience members are welcomed. The producers say it's a way for them to experience and discuss the play free from white gaze. Now, blackout performances aren't entirely new. They were pioneered on Broadway by the playwright Jeremy O'Harris, but their arrival in the UK has prompted a backlash. The Times' arts correspondent, David Sanderson, has been speaking to The World in 10, has been telling us about the arguments for and against these black-only performances. I think of a personal experience when I went to the West End here, played by Brian Kelly Cameron. In that audience, and it was primarily a black audience, but I found found it quite revelatory. Okay, I'd love to go into a bit of detail, but there was a, a discussion on stage about the use of the N-word, and there was then reaction from the audience, which gave a sort of more nuanced side of the, the debate about the use of the word than I would have picked up originally. So I guess that's a long way of saying I can see the advantage of mixed audiences, but the, the converse of that is that I can think of a specific example when a fairly well-known black actor told me about a play that he'd gone to see in uh, southwest London called A Nocturne, which is based on a plantation. He said that in this primarily white audience, and there was a lot of sort of inappropriate laughter at points, you know, as if they didn't really understand the significance or the seriousness of a particular plot point. So those are the the motivations, I think, for people on both sides of the debate. That was David Sanderson, arts correspondent for The Times. Now, as ideas go, it's pretty bold, a drug-fuelled alternative to the Olympics in which athletes are allowed to use banned substances to boost their performance. The Enhanced Games, as it's known, is a hugely controversial proposal and is backed by a number of venture capitalists. In fact, the Australian businessman behind the event, Dr Aaron D'Souza, says it could happen as soon as next year, with more than 900 athletes interested in competing without World Anti-Doping Agency rules. However, the president of World Athletics, Sebastian Coe, a former Olympic champion himself, has been scathing about the idea. Mm. When asked by the Times about the plan, he called it 
bollocks. <laughs> a very English response saying, and I quote, if anyone is moronic enough to take part, they'll get banned and for a long time. Well, that's it from us. Thank you for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of the Times of London. See you tomorrow. Bye.